Okay, recording. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second series of the Hidden Power podcast. I'm Philip Tottenham, and my co-host is Ed Straw. Hello. Hello. Hello from us. So in this series, in this episode, we're going to talk, give you a sort of overview of the series and maybe just a bit of a recap on where we got to in series one, which I'm pleased to say a lot of people reported having enjoyed. So that's great. And I think series one overall really gave us some great examples of where systems thinking could really work. Like, for example, with Eileen Monroe and child protection, and also with Julian Corner and and his NGOs in, in, in various parts of England, helping people who are at a disadvantage. So this series is called Pre-Flight Checklist. And as we mentioned in the last episode of the last series, this is really an analogy that we're using to talk about constitutions. So our overall goal, our sort of complete agenda is about trying to look at ways we can have a comfortable journey through life on spaceship Earth. And just as we hear checks on a plane, ensuring a comfortable flight and avoiding crashing, uh, when it comes to managing our shared environmental wealth and life support system, we want to ensure that it continues to be capable of supporting us and available to enhance our lives and hopefully consign the intense weather effects and excessive wildfires to history. That would be the ideal. Mm. So really the next point of that is, is really working out, well, how do we get to work out what these checks are? And Ed, I think this is where systems thinking has really played a role for you in terms of trying to link this sort of endpoint with our systems of government. Mm. And again, we've seen some of this in the, in the last series, in the last episode, but really through systems thinking, it's been a way of thinking holistically. And in fact, people did report they didn't quite understand what we were talking about when we talked about systems thinking. And I think in a nutshell, it is thinking holistically. So it's looking at the total system in most cases, particularly when it comes to governments. And I think it, it has roots in computer systems and that kind of thing, but it really applies to any systems. And one of the key tenets of it is that systems exist within other systems. So, for example, you might have a system of, of molecular um, interaction, which results in hydrogen and oxygen atoms coming together. But as, as a sort of um, something that you wouldn't anticipate from that interaction, you have properties, emergent properties uh, of water, of H2O, such as wetness or the capability to support life, which would in no way have been visible in that smaller subsystem. Um, and we see other examples of this. For example, you might design a car to get you from A to B, but an emergent property of car engines is heat and also pollution. So it's not that car manufacturers are setting out to pollute the planet, but it's a, an emergent property of how we get around. I think for you, Ed, the re this sort of takes a, a new turn because the systems that we're talking about are systems involving people. And uh, to me, the significant part of that is that you're no longer a godlike observer sort of designing this thing like an engineer and looking at inputs and outputs because you are an element of the system. And I think this is where we go from systems thinking to systems thinking in practice. Does, does that sound about right to you? 
Yeah, I mean, the important point about the in-practice bit is that you can look at and analyse and try and understand a system in its totality, holistically in the round, from every angle, but that in the real human world, you then start to apply that and that actually you find things weren't quite as you expected or or Mm. sometimes completely different from as you expected. So as you apply the thinking and you do stuff, you monitor, you get feedback as Mm. to what is going on. And and the, the sailing analogy here where... Yeah, you 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 you're you're in a boat. Uh, the wind is going in this direction. The current is going in this direction. You've got this sail up. You're steering in that direction, but the wind shifts. Uh, the yes, shifts yeah. and so on. So you do course corrections in order to get across the Atlantic, for the sake of argument. So um, really, the, the the systems thinking part of that is it's sort of written into our human systems that you don't know what's going to happen. And to be pragmatic in reality, when you're actually in the actual boat, you need to learn things like learning how much you can adjust the sails and, you know, knowing that you have to learn that and knowing that you've got new things to, to yeah. new feedbacks to take into account. And part, part of the thing about systems thinking, and I, I very much take the point that, oh, well, you know, we've had six episodes and what systems thinking it's in the round, but there are all sorts of things that uh, one can observe in systems. So you've just referred to a particular concept there, which is part of systems thinking and practice, which is called knowing in action. Mm. You've got knowledge, you know, bags and bags of knowledge. I mean, you go on the internet, but actually knowing in action and understanding that as you do something, and knowing is emergent from action rather mm. than this sort of knowledge, this reified knowing that you'll find in a book is another important aspect of all of that. And a, another one is just to pull one or two more out, perhaps pathway lock in. I mean, what, what you'll find is that systems start to do what they do, what they do. And that you, you'll think, well, you know, why are we not changing? And, mm. and what has happened is you've got locked into a particular trajectory, a particular pathway. And you can see that time and time again in, in terms of what governments do. And I suppose that brings us back to our sort of main goal in terms of getting a, a comfortable journey through life on Spaceship Earth and finding what checks we would need to ensure that Mm. insofar as you know we've had these incredibly successful economies in the modern era but over time this resource particularly oil i suppose would be a a key example um which appeared at one time to be this miracle like water almost it's so Mm. abundant and Mm. it can power everything and it's great Mm. but gradually over time the pollution and the uh it's taken us a long time to realize Mm. what we're doing and mm. so we've, we've sort of woken up to this in, in quite a slow way. And now, of course, it's it's not too late, but it's it's getting, you know, we're getting close to the line now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and yeah, we got locked into the internal combustion engine um, mm. for all sorts of reasons and, and found it very difficult to uh, to get out of that. 
But it does seem that, um, as we've mentioned on several occasions, that there are significant players like the uh, the UN, the WHO and OECD, to, to rename a few, that believe that we have a route out of what we have created in terms of our potential extinction. And so through the use of systems thinking, particularly, obviously, in thinking about the global systems of, for example, weather, biodiversity, and so on, that by the use of systems thinking, we can draw the connections and protect ourselves from further damage. Yeah. And I mean, that's really where we we came into all of this. So there are lots of systems thinkers around and they apply and we apply systems thinking to various situations. It, it might be a company. Think about your average telephone company, mobile phone company and the way it interacts with you. And it's stuck in its own way of doing things rather mm. than responding to where you are and how you are and, and what you're trying to do. And I've become, I suppose, a specialist in applying systems thinking to systems of government. So if, if we look at the totality of the way in which governments work and the way in which governing operates, mm. then what can systems thinking tell us about that? It can tell us an awful lot. And it will take us down a path that says there are a number of things that we need to get right in the systems of governing that we need to change if we're going to live in harmony with our planet, if we're going to preserve our planet, and indeed do a lot of other things like correct mass inequality. So that's, you know, where, where we get to the pre-flight checklist mm. is to develop a number of these principles. And so these principles, I mean, these are like sort of guardrails for the, you know, the, in, in the cut and thrust of, of normal um, government and, and law and so on. You have precedents and slight changes, but these principles function more as a constitution that can keep that cut and thrust with, within the guardrails? Yeah, I mean, at a, at a very simple level, before we had those guardrails, those constitutions and the rule of law, then, well, we had a tribes, clans, fiefdoms, and the way things worked was through force, through violence, mm. through battle. And then, okay, we said, well, now we need a rule book. It's a bit like a sport. I mean, if you take the way in which the game of football, originally it started, I think in Wales, actually, interestingly, where as many people from one village versus as many people from another village, their sole purpose was to get the ball from one village to the other. And mm. you could do anything. And then gradually, and mayhem occurred, you know, so I'm sure it's very exciting in many respects, mm. but also lots of bloodshed and all the rest of it. Gradually, that came to be categorised, the rules were established, so that we're going to have 11 players, so that uh, we're going to have two goals, so that we're going to have a pitch of this size, uh, so that you can't kick people to death. Well, um, this is, I think, what, what, I, what I see in this analogy, Ed, is, is um, it's not just about trying to be good. It's about how this can be most enjoyable for everybody. Exactly. And, and people now refer to football as the beautiful game. Mm. Well, it's entirely within our grasp to turn government 
and our experience of government and our experience of society and our relationship with nature into the beautiful game. Mm. But that, to do that, we've got to change the rule book. Uh, so, book. yeah, so I just, before we, we get to the close of, of this session, I just wanted to quickly get to to how you've created these sort of four areas, these four subdivisions, which are biosphere and people, which we'll be getting on to more so in a minute, uh, democracy and subsidiarity, government and companies. So what what sort of prompt, is this sort of about rethinking how to put the biosphere centrally into our governance model? Or what was the thinking behind those uh, subdivisions? Mm. It was a bit sort of backwards, as it were, because first of all, we developed the core principles, and there are 26 um, mm. for systemic governing, as we call mm. it. And then it was a question, well, if you just sort of chuck 26 principles at people, it, it's quite difficult to um, grip. So then we we had to group it somehow or other. And it seemed to us that, well, first of all, the biosphere, and we'll come on to that mm. as why that's absolutely fundamental. And secondly, people, you know, mm. so, so what's it about? What's this system about? It's about the biosphere. It's about people. As you say, what's it about? But who are the ends? Like, what's the focus of the the activity like who do we want to be the beneficiaries mm. of of both power and and i guess happiness want of a, a better expression mm. no exactly and 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 indeed who holds the power you know where mm. does power start well the power starts with the biosphere and then second it's with the people mm. uh, so that seemed a reasonable grouping you can group these in all sorts of ways but this is how we've done it the second thing then it seemed to us was that um, what we call democracy and subsidiarity. Yeah. And that this is a means of turning the power of people into some government process. We need government. Um, and subsidiarity has, has a sort of long history, I think, in, in uh, for example, the Roman Catholic Church, that the government exists or the power exists to serve people. Subsidiarity is about, well, we'll do these things locally and we'll do these things regionally and we'll do these things nationally and we'll do these mm -hmm. things internationally. So often that's talked of as decentralization or devolution. And the implication of that is that the power starts at the centre. Yes. And... and subsidiarity is saying no, no 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 it's the other way around power starts with the people and then the people decide what political authority to allocate to what institutions mm. in order to uh, produce a, a, a government that works on behalf of the people and again that sounds like i mean i, I think you're talking about switzerland as, as a good model for that yeah the next grouping um we've called the fourth separation of powers um dot dot the world can't run on lies mm. and and this there are two points here one is that the biggest hole in every system of governing in the world is feedback knowing here's a law is it working what's happening projects policies blah you know etc 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 and and that's just a hole but in the absence of that feedback, what has occurred is that we get lying as the norm. You know, mm. so uh, politicians uh, 
heads of business, corporate speak, whoever it is, just spinning, massaging statistics, um, making. Well, I suppose they they're in a position, aren't they? They're they're in this slightly sort of fearful position of being blamed, you know, potentially blamed. So they're always trying to avoid being blamed, aren't they? Like that's a part, a, a function of the system in which they operate is that they. That as figureheads, they have to constantly defend themselves. Yeah, and it's not the way it should be. Everyone makes mistakes. There are always failures. Indeed, in the best designed thinking, mistakes and failures are celebrated. Mm. Because from those, we can learn. And I mean, just look at the whole pandemic. You know, we, we are learning as we go along about what has worked and what has not worked. So let's get on to the, um, the sort of the first main subdivision. I think we've got this idea of, of the biosphere being kind of central and and then the other parts of government sort of gaining their rule books from that, that central kind of um, mm. focus. But um, you've got several rules under biosphere and people. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about uh, principle number one, uh, which is... Um, yeah, the biophysical world is incorporated as a central partner in our governing systems. Exactly. But then you have several others that relate as much to people as they do to the biosphere. So mm. would you like to talk me through that general grouping? Yeah. You've got the biophysical world, and we'll come on to that. But if you're going to put it as a central partner, then it goes into the constitution. In order for a constitution to function effectively... You then have the second principle, which is people and constitutional sovereignty. In other words, mm. um, the people rule, but the way in which they rule is expressed through constitutional sovereignty. And that's where the power of a government to operate and other institutions of government to operate stems from. In order to make sure that happens, <laughs> you have to have the rule of law. And the rule of law applies to us all. But it also, and most specifically, applies to people in government. You can't con, lie, cheat, steal, crony, corrupt your way around government. For that then to happen, you need a constitutional court, which is number four, Mm -hmm. uh, in order to adjudicate and interpret the constitution. And then we've got two others that, if you like, broaden the way in which we as a people want to live together. So number five, I've called diversity of lifestyles. Now, the point about diversity is that diversity produces resilience. And if you you're probably most familiar with biodiversity. We need biodiversity because it makes the whole ecosystem resilient. So, I mean, take a simple example, if if you limit biodiversity down to one strain of wheat, that strain of wheat then, uh, for whatever reason, gets diseased or or whatever, you've nowhere else to Mm -hmm. go. So the more the strains of wheat, the more the strains of species, the better. Diversity also means that you are making the best use of a society's resources. So you can couch diversity in terms of... So this is the sort of the human rights angle on, on diversity. Yes, that, that's... yes. and from a, a fairness, justice point of view, absolutely. From making the best use of your society, you want all of that talent to come through. 
one of the most interesting things recently is we're finding, um, as Greta Thornburg has said, that actually being autistic can be a great benefit and using that piece of diversity. Then we come on to diversity of lifestyles. All sorts of things are going to kick off. You know, which lifestyles are going to survive the way in which the biosphere is developing over the next uh, 10, 20, 50 years? Well, I don't know. But is it, for example, the average city dweller's lifestyle? Or is it, I mean, to take an extreme, nomads in the desert who Mm. are much adapted so we need that diversity of lifestyle there is another point on top of that which says well you know why the hell should i be objecting to how someone else lives providing they're living in harmony with the rest of us and with the planet well exactly exactly and i suppose that i mean we'll be diving into that when we get to that episode but our next episode will be about that first principle that we mentioned, which you can articulate again for me. Uh, The biophysical world is incorporated as the central partner in every governing system. Okay, that's great. Well, we look forward to that in episode two. And Ed, thank you for, for this episode. It's been great. I think that's a good overview. I think we've kept it fairly concise, and that's a, a success for us. Good. <laughs> <laughs>